Welcome to the LTC University Podcast, empowering and educating across the great state of South Carolina. Here we go. Today we have a very unique guest, uh, and we're going to be talking about self-care and finding your life zen, and we'll get into that in just a second, but we have Sarah Hopkins. She's a social worker, and she works at Winthrop University. And she teaches there and teaches social work. So we are so glad to have you, Sarah. Thank you, Jamie. You know, people hear that, you know, you know, finding your work life is in. I think that Zen word, especially in the South, can kind of throw people like, what, what is this? What kind of religion is this? You know, and, and all that. But I think you explained it to me earlier, uh, what it really means. So talk a little bit about that. So finding your work-life zen, a lot of people talk about trying to find your work-life balance. And to me, balance means equal, like 50-50. And how many of us can really say we have balance when it comes to our personal lives and our work? Um, So rather than talking about that work-life balance, what I've tried to do for myself is create that work-life zen instead. And to me, the word zen means peace. How can I be at peace? How can I be when I'm at home? I'm at home. And when I'm at work, I'm at work. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying there aren't times that they're going to cross over. I'm not saying there aren't times where you're going to be at home thinking about work and vice versa. But how can you live the best quality of life at work and at home and find that zen? Yeah, I think as Americans, I think we struggle with this the most. Yes. Um, because everything's about being successful. Everything is about making money. Everything is about, you know, being having that status of the home and all that stuff. And I don't think life's really about that. I think I think it's we've got it backwards a little bit. Um, not to say that we shouldn't work. I love working. I love what I do. I love doing those things. I love being creative. But I feel like we've got to find that peace in that. And like you said, the difference between work-life balance and work-life peace, um, Zen. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, as a social worker, you know, how do you flesh that out? As a social worker, so I was a hospice social worker for about 10, year, 10 years before I went into academia. And what I found for myself is I just showed a, a short video clip um, in my presentation back when my, my daughter is now nine. Right after I had her, I had to go in the local news and talk about our children's bereavement camp. Um, and at the time, I was really doing a good job of taking care of everyone in my life except for myself. Um, that video, as soon as it went out, people were posting it on Facebook, people were sharing it, people were so excited. I couldn't watch the video. I was about 220 pounds. I looked at that video and all I saw was me not in shape, not in good health. I was embarrassed by what I saw. And for me, that was, I hit my bottom. I realized I was, yeah, doing a good job of taking care of everyone at work, doing a good job of taking care of everyone at home. But I myself was suffering. So something I started to think about then was, how do I take care of myself? How do I set some boundaries in my life to be better to myself, to treat myself how I'm treating everyone else? Like, yeah, like you said, money is important. We have to pay the bills. But was there there a way to work smarter? Was there a way to spend more quality time with everyone, but also carve out that quality time for myself? Which led me to the Couch to 5K app. Um, and I grew up playing soccer, so I hated, loathed running. Um, but I started running back then and haven't, haven't looked back. Because for me, running is a half an hour to an hour every single day. 
that no one can get me. Yes, my cell phone is with me, but music is on. I'm not answering calls. I'm not answering texts. My husband or other people know where I'm running. So if something happens, they can find me. But it's that hour a day where I don't have to give to anyone else but myself. So that has become kind of my my secret time. Something when I teach social work to students is I plant the seed right away of what asking what their self-care is. And usually I get the answer back, we're students, we don't have time for self-care. And I say, no, you need time. And then it was really... Um, it was really an aha moment for me this past fall semester when I was teaching the, the second year MSW students. They're about to graduate, about to go out and be social workers themselves. They said, we don't even know what self-care is. Like when you talk about self-care, you run. We don't want to run. When you talk about self-care, you talk about CrossFit. We don't want to go to CrossFit. What is self-care? So we had a really – I hit the pause button. I forget what we were supposed to talk about that day. But I said – we're going to spend some time flushing this out because this is that important for your future careers. So finally, the way that we defined self-care was self-care is something that fills you up rather than depletes you. And for each of us, it looks completely different. It can be, you know, a five-minute meditation. It can be a bowl of ice cream. It can be calling and talking to a friend on the phone or meeting a friend for lunch. It can be exercise. But self-care should be something that you're putting on the calendar every single day, but it shouldn't feel like something else that you look at begrudgingly and just have to do. Yeah, it's so needed in our our world and our life. How does somebody, you know, going back to your story, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you feel like we get there to where we're helping everybody else but ourselves? You know, what psychologically, how do we get to that point? I think it's it's a very small change. And something I teach students um, when they're looking at goals, we do something in social work that's called MAPS goals or SMART goals. So a MAPS goal is measurable, achievable, positive, and specific. So how do you start with something? And like I said, my self-care, if I were to pull out my planner or pull out my calendar right now and my phone, um, you see like classes I have to teach, meetings I have to go to, but you also see running time on there. You see CrossFit on there. My husband and I typically meet, talk on Sunday about what our weeks look like and when we're getting runs in, when we're getting CrossFit in because our self-care is just as important, if not more important, than everything else that's on that calendar. Start small. Start with five minutes. I'm going to wake up five minutes earlier than I'm used to, and I'm going to, before my feet hit the ground, I am going to sit up, I'll have a notebook by my bed, and write down three things that I'm grateful for. I'm going to start my day doing that with the attitude of gratitude, and that's going to be my self-care for the day. Or after I put the kids to bed, after I get through my day at work, after I get through dinner, laundry, all the mundane, reading, all the things that need to be done, I'm going to stay up an hour after my kids go to bed and I'm going to practice yoga through YouTube. But it's starting small. Like what's something you can do that's not huge? Like when I started running, I never thought I'd run a marathon, ever. I watched a friend, you know, complete one. My goal was a 5K. I did that 5K. Then when I got that past that goal, it was a 10K. Then it was a half. And then, yeah, it was a marathon. But I didn't jump right to that marathon. And I think that's where people make mistakes with self-care is they have grandiose ideas. And that's great. Nothing wrong with it. But how do you break it down into something smaller and something achievable? And how do you share? I just talked about this. Um, It's that self-responsibility. It's that self-expression talking about it. But also it's that 
who's around you that you can can support you. Again, if it wasn't for my husband, you know, having the buy-in, I couldn't train for a marathon. Where are my kids going to go for four hours while I run 20 20 miles training? So I had to talk to him about my goals and I had to have him on board, if you will. Otherwise, that never would have worked. So it's putting it out there, saying what you want to do do for self-care and then having the support of others around you. And sometimes it's explaining, I'm super anxious and my anxiety makes me act out in anger or I'm more snappy or I'm more, you know, emotional. Um, If I start running more, I think I'll be less anxious, which will improve the quality of life for everyone in the house. So sometimes that buy-in is explaining what changes will happen systematically within the family or within the people around you and how they'll benefit from you taking care of yourself. Yeah. And I think too, I think people think they're being selfish. So you got the stay at home dad or the stay at home mom. They think they're being selfish by focusing on themselves, but it's, you know, talk me out of that right now. Yes. Why it's not selfish. Cause I know it's not mm-hmm. talk me out of that. Why? Self-care is not selfish. Self-care is self-preservation. In order for you to be your best self to take care of other people, you have to take care of yourself. And I'll use another personal example. When I wake up on the weekends, Friday night is my fall apart night. Do not ask me out to dinner. Do not ask me to do anything. Like Friday nights, I want to be in pajamas and watch TV and just hang out. That's just the night I crash. But then I wake up Saturday mornings and because I've crashed Friday night, typically the house is in shambles, the week has fallen apart, whatever. So I'll start getting snippy with everyone in my house. My kids know enough to say and they'll look at me and they'll be like, Mama, isn't it time for CrossFit? Or Mama, you need to go run. Because they know if I go and do one of those activities, I'm going to come back in an hour or two and I'm going to be a better quality mom to them. And I can get the chores done and we can clean up and we can do the things that we need to do. But I'm going to be in a much happier space because I've released that anxiety. So the self-preservation piece comes down to quality of life. And again, if if you're a parent and you have kids, how do you incorporate that in? So something we do on the weekends a lot with our kids is we hike. I mean, we live in a beautiful area. Um, no matter where you live, again, I'm from upstate New York, and as long as the weather's halfway decent, there's always places to hike and to get outside. Just get outside, breathing the fresh air, even if you walk for 10 minutes. Walk for 10 minutes, be outside, get the whole family engaged in something. I know. I live I live in Charleston, and we have the beaches. Yes. We live at me and my wife. We live in Mount Pleasant. We we're about ten minutes from the beach, mm-hmm. and it's I can't tell you how nice it is to go to the beach. I can be stressed out. Take a ten minute walk. It doesn't yeah. even have to be long. Nope. But you're hearing that ocean. You're hearing. You know. You're walking. You're feeling the sand on your feet. And I come back and I'm fine. I'm like everything that was bothering me is not bothering me anymore. And it's so nice. And it's so necessary that we take that time. I know. A little bit about my own story. I used, I used to work for a church, and I got to the point where I was working. We were in a building program. We were at literally building a, a church a facility at that time, and my life was tied up in that. And I think one of the mistakes that we make is our work becomes who we are, and that's not who we are. And, I, and it took me a while, um, and it took a lot of pain and a lot of frustration um, a lot of arguments, well, me and my wife, she was right. 
Um, oh, wait, yeah. say that again. She was <laughs> she what? She was right. She was right. Make sure she listens to this. Yeah, I, she won't. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I had to learn that that's not who I am. You know, do you feel like social workers fall in that same category because they're always helping people? They're always, you know, and you ask somebody, what do you do? You know, we automatically go to our work. Yeah. You know, you know, what do you think about that for social workers? For social workers, I think it's even more dangerous. The majority of folks who go into social work come into social work because typically they have some sort of past themselves. So for myself, for example, I grew up in a family where mental illness was all over the place. I grew up in a family where substance abuse was all over the place. I grew up and, you know, I have some sort of, most social workers have some sort of trauma history that brings them into the field because they want to help other people. So the danger with social work is how do we how do we take care of ourselves how do we own our own stories and not let it ooze out onto other people how do we let the people we're helping their stories not ooze on to us and then how at the end of the day how are we defining ourselves because i hate to say it but we're based on our jobs we're all replaceable like i am not the only one that can teach social work in an instructor role at winthrop university if god for sake i get hit by a bus tomorrow my job would be filled shortly thereafter. I am not replaced or I am replaceable. All of us are replaceable. So at the end of the day, it's looking at your own self-identity. Like, yes, I'm Sarah. I'm the mom of two. I'm the wife. I'm a social work educator. I'm also a runner. I'm also a friend. I'm also, it's looking at who you are as an individual. And this is something from being a bereavement counselor years ago. Um, I learned a lot about um, working with widows working with women who'd lost their husbands. And what I saw in bereavement is the the people who fared better, they could have been married 50, 60, some even 70 years. Even in that marriage and parenting, they and whatever their their career was, they still knew at the end of the day who they were, what their values, what their goals, what they wanted out of life. So when you lose other pieces of it, yeah, it's devastating and it's hard, but you still have your own self-identity at the end of the day, which is why self-care and self-preservation and hobbies and likes and interests are so important. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, you've, you need that release. And here's, here's the way I look at it. Mm-hmm. Something's going to give. Yeah. It's not a matter of what. Will. Or will. It is going to give. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's how we cope with that. So are we replacing that, you know, um, workout with eating, right. you know, right. unhealthy and, and, and eating our emotions, eat, doing those kind of things. I've struggled with that myself, uh, you know, and replacing that with a workout instead right. and doing something healthy um, with those behaviors. And I think we have to look out for ourselves first. If it's, it's the, it's the uh, airplane illustration. Oxygen, the mask oxygen. on yourself. I say it all the time. Put yours on first. You know, mm-hmm. that's all you have to do. Yeah. Take care of yourself first so you can take care of others. Mm-hmm. I and think- I think going back to what you said about like that stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad too, I have so much respect for them. I could never do it. I would lose in my mind. Over the summer, um, when I came into academia, I have summers off. I typically teach extra classes, but I have summers off with my kids. 
love my kids dearly, but that unstructured time with them all summer and the prices of summer camps are like $200 a kid for a week. They're expensive. So trying to figure out how to keep them entertained, I need more self-care when I am with my kids all of the time because it's exhausting. Someone always needs a snack. Someone's always fighting with someone. There's always something that needs to be done and I cherish the time with them and I'm blessed to have it during the summer. But I think those that stay at home with their kids, they need even more of a break and they need oftentimes even more adult time because they're with their kids all day and the only role they're serving all day is that of parent. They need that time even more so to figure out who they are outside of just being a parent. Those of it that go to work, it's I'm a parent and I'm a social work educator. So I have that extra, that extra role. Totally. I think, I think we have to figure that out who we are. And, and I think we put up a wall, we put up a facade because we want everybody to see us in a certain light. And if we would just let go of that and, and, and if we could just see people for who they are and say, you know what? you make mistakes and that's okay. That's okay. You get mad. You get angry. I see some people, they've got a smile on their face all the time. And I know that they don't have that smile 100% of the time, but they want that. They want to portray that. And, and obviously, you know, be happy. I want them to be happy, obviously. But if we could just be real mm-hmm. and then, and then like, I think what you said a little bit ago, you let your kids, you know, uh, your kids are telling you go to CrossFit, Yeah, you know, and I think I think something that somebody told me, one of my mentors, is give permission, give mm-hmm. people permission to speak into your life. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily everybody, but give people the people that are closest to you and the people that can look from outside in mm-hmm. and see your blind spots and give them permission to speak into your life where you have to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And I think it, literally saying that is what it takes. Is saying you know what, I give you permission. To say whatever you want, and I can't be offended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even sometimes, like I give you permission to say whatever you want, and I'm not going to interrupt you. Yeah. I might not like it, but I'll sit here and I'll be quiet. And sometimes too, it's giving people permission when you need to talk to them, giving them permission to not say anything back. Yeah. Sometimes I'll go to my husband and say, "I need to talk about something. All I need you to do is listen," because people feel this, I think, pressure to say the right thing back or to give advice. And sometimes all we really need is someone to be present and listen and going back to what you were saying about you know people walking around with smiles on their faces all the time it's really even more risky now with social media there's so many people on their social media feeds their facebook and their instagram it's the highlight of all the good things and then other people go on and look and compare and contrast their life to someone else's and they're like why isn't my life like that because typically it's that highlight reel i try to be very open and honest on both my instagram and both my facebook i don't i post a lot of good but i post a lot of struggle too like this is what's going on this is what i'm feeling this is how i've worked through it i don't do it for attention but i do it because i know a lot of people see me out there presenting in a positive manner i'm not positive all the time these are the things that happen bad things happen yet you have to stay keep going forward um and i'll i'll share here because i think it's worthwhile sharing my brother died of a heroin overdose last march and a lot of people came to me and they they were like we don't know what to do with you you're the one that helps everyone else when grief and loss happens now it's you what do we do and i was very um i very intentionally shared social on social media and still do what that journey has been like because again i don't feel like we give people permission enough 
to share when they're grieving a very deep loss. And people, I think, especially when it comes to bereavement, feel like they have to be done with it in three days because that's the time work gives us off. And how do you work through that and that roller coaster ride, you know, with it? And again, self-care, like CrossFit, running, these are the things that are helping me not go around my grief, but go through it and work through it. Because I think it's those really intense moments when situationally life gets out of control What do people do? And so many people crumble under the pressure because they're not given permission to be vulnerable and share their stories because the people around them that they share with kind of close them down and want them to be better. And sometimes it's just sitting and sharing. Vulnerability is something we've got to get better at. You know, Brene Brown, that's her whole mission. And and she's amazing and I love all of her content. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've got to become better at being vulnerable. I know I always want, my initial thing is to hide things. Mm -hmm. To to not, I don't want people to see my dirt. I don't want people, and we all have it. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you step out and you're a little bit vulnerable, Mm -hmm. I think mental illness, people talk about yeah. it because we all struggle with yes. it. Yeah. You know, with we all have depression. We all have anxiety. We all have those things, mm-hmm. but we won't talk about them. Right. I know my family, um, growing up, I had no clue that they all struggle with anxiety mm-hmm. because nobody talks about it. And I was shooting a video with, with a group from a church that it was, a, it was an anxiety like mental health group Mm -hmm. and I was shooting a video with them and they were just talking about their stories and how they felt. And I started thinking, wow, I deal with that too. I, wow, I struggle with that too. And all of a sudden I started asking questions. I found out my whole family struggled with this, but nobody talked about it. I I think something that I really respect, um, and I'm excited about, maybe excited is the wrong word, but we're finally, some of these things, the stigma is starting to go away. Um, when it comes to mental illness, when it comes to drug use, I can remember sitting down and helping to write my brother's obituary. And I, I looked at my parents and I'm like, we're saying what it was, right? We are saying he died from an overdose. They're like, yes, absolutely. I'm like, thank goodness. Because so many times we don't share these things and that's how they become stigmatized. We don't talk about it. We sweep it under the carpet. Mental illness, the opioid epidemic, grief and loss, we're all grieving things all the time, but we don't open the door for the grief and loss conversations. Um, we close these things down because we want everyone to be happy all of the time. And then in the meantime, people are suffering alone behind closed doors. Yeah. So um, it, it's finding ways to allow people to share their story and then supporting them as they try to figure out how to take care of themselves and incorporate self-care People have fear. Again, it goes back to what we talked about with productivity and work. If I'm vulnerable and I show who I am, will I still have a job? Will I lose the house? Will I lose the car? Will I lose respect? We're all human. I, I tell our social, like social work students all the time, it's social work practice, not social work perfect. Life is messy. Um, it's how do we share our stories? How are we allowed to be vulnerable but still be productive and still be okay and not not be stigmatized or feel alienated. Mm-hmm. I think too. I think we you know we all deal with some type of trauma, mm-hmm. some type of you know pain that yeah. we we all have dealt with. Is taking that pain, taking that struggle that we've had, and turning it into something good. Yeah. Turning it around, not not covering it up. Talk about it. Mm-hmm. And turn it into something good. Take your pain and use it to help someone else. Because 
here's the deal. We all want to, we all feel alienated when we deal with an issue, especially if it's an embarrassing thing or something that people, that has a stigma to it. And we want to cover it up and we get embarrassed. But the best thing we could do is talk about it and share it and be open because we all think we're the only one dealing with it. We're not. We're not. We're humans and we're pretty simple. We've There's nothing new under the sun. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, I think we've got to deal with that. And I think self-care is huge in our culture. And thank God you're dealing with this. You're talking about it and you're helping these students, these social worker students get get it from the beginning don't 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 do what we've all done now and, and make a mess and then have to fix it yeah just get it up do it up front yeah and it i mean it's something we talk about you know with my kids all the time my kids are six and nine unfortunately we've talked about mental illness unfortunately we've talked about drugs and drug overdoses we've talked about anxiety like we we call things what they are so they're raised with it they're raised with self-care um they're raised with conversations you know they know on both sides of their family there's mental illness there's substance use you know disorders and hopefully by being so open and honest with them based on age and age appropriately we can help them to develop good um, self-care strategies and coping strategies along the way so they don't make you know poor choices that end up harming them in the end mm-hmm. okay I want you to give me your top three. If you could only have three self-care things to do. Now, you can have more than that in real life. But you only get three. And if you had to choose the three top self-care things that you would do, what would they be? Things. Can I put working out all in the same bucket? Like, can CrossFit and running all go together? Okay. So that's one bucket, that that physical exercises. Exercise. Um. Just those lazy cuddling moments with my kids. Like when phones are put to the side, we're just hanging out as a family, watching a movie. Or actually last weekend was great. Last weekend we ended up going down to Table Rock, up to Table Rock. I don't know which general direction. It's over by Tennessee. We went to Table Rock to hike and there was no cell reception. So we were outside together and my youngest, my six-year-old whined the whole time. But still, we were all together and no one could be on a cell phone. So just that family quality time when there's no outside distractions, right. that that fills me up you a lot. More. One more ice cream. Ice as cream. much as I love to work out, I am an ice cream <laughs> addict. I admit it. Um, there have been times where I eat it like every single night. I will say I'm disappointed going from New York, coming to the South. The South doesn't have as good of ice cream as New York does. Um, wow, so when I when I visit home, like the first thing I want to get is not pizza, is not Italian. It's ice cream. They have good they are, they scooped already, ice cream. They already get after us Northerners coming down here and taking I know, them, but know. ice cream. There's there's this place in Binghamton, New York called Humdinger's that like I had a little like going away party there. Um, and they just opened because up there, the ice cream shops don't stay open year long. So they right. just opened up in March and people have been posting on my my Facebook feed Sarah we're at Humdinger you're not here it's open when are you coming <laughs> so the plan is hopefully we're going to go up in a few months and run a half marathon there and then right after the half marathon we're going to go get ice cream nice that's perfect so, yeah well, thank you so much thank you thank you for what you do um, as a social worker as an educator um, we really appreciate it and I think a lot of people are going to get a lot of good stuff out of this and uh, thank you so much for being a guest you're welcome Jamie thank you for having me thanks just a couple of announcements 
Every single month, on the first Monday of the month, we have an event called the Community Leadership Assembly. You are invited, especially if you're an assisted living administrator or skilled facility administrator and a social worker. You can earn up to three CEU credits at this event. You'll hear from a couple different speakers and we're gonna provide lunch for only $10. You don't wanna miss it. So make sure you come to 1626 on Main in Columbia, South Carolina. You won't regret it. Also, if you'd be so kind, to write a review for the LTC University podcast. Give us a five-star rating. We would really appreciate it. We'd love for you to check us out on social media. You can go find us at LTC University on Facebook and at LTC University on Instagram and Twitter as well. Thanks so much. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Let's continue to learn together. Have a great day.